0: Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. All right, the book of Hebrews, as a quick recap, was written to a group of believers. All right, it's not an evangelistic book per se, but it's written to um, a group of people who have been convinced of the truth of the gospel. And uh, they have done a lot of good work in the name of the gospel. However, this group of Christians is beginning to get a little discouraged. They're beginning to question some things. They're beginning to lose heart. Um, And in some some ways, they're beginning to lose faith. And the author of Hebrews is writing this book um, with a threefold purpose. It is to encourage them in the name of the gospel. It is to remind them of the things that they already believe. But it's also to warn them of the dangers Of unbelief. And so, what we see throughout the book of of Hebrews is several very distinct warnings. We see several uh, bits of commentary that the author of Hebrews is writing to different sections of the Old Testament because this is written to a bunch of uh, believing Jews, so they know the Old Testament law very well. And that it is not worth going back to the old law, but the new covenant through Jesus Christ and his work on the cross is where we are supposed to anchor. Our ship so throughout this book we see uh, a call to remember and I, I've been saying this in my recaps but I appreciate what Mark Dever said he said that the book of Hebrews is kind of like a um, I forgot the magazine consumer report it's like a consumer report for Christianity it's comparing it to all of these different things the old law even other uh, potential religions and saying that Jesus Christ is the best Jesus Christ is the best. Let's look, let's compare, let's contrast, let's be reminded of, of these things that we are claiming to believe, and how does it hold up to everything that's going on in life, and it is the best option. So, um, the section of scripture that we discussed last week was a bit of commentary that the author walked us through in the book from the book of uh, Psalms. So, let's pick back up in chapter 4, verse 14. And find grace to help in time of need. Throughout the morning, we're going to continue through the beginning of chapter 5, but I just want to camp here to begin. All right, so look back at verse 14. It says, Since then, all right, since then, we have a great high priest. It's important for us to understand context. And I know that last week was a long time ago, and if you were to ask me, um, different things than what Buster preached last week. It might take a little while for me to re- remember those things. So let's jump back a couple verses and kind of get our bearings where we're at. Uh, if you would, jump back to verse th- uh, 11. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11. It says, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow, in discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. This is a wrap-up of the commentary on Psalm 95. And Psalm 95 is speaking about a time in the history of the children of Israel uh, where they um, should have believed but found themselves grumbling and complaining and leading them down a massive road of disbelief in the things of God and actually uh, uh, because of it, it drew the wrath of God on them because uh, they did not believe the promises that God had said, and it resulted in their wandering in the desert for 40 years as their judgment and, and dying. And so all of the adults that were over the age of 20 uh, wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, and they, and they died. And so this is looking back on that psalm, which is looking back into uh, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, and it's saying, be warned. Be warned of your heart. Be warned of, be warned of grumbling. Be warned of questioning. Be warned of disbelief. Because that is a dangerous road. We've seen this before. And we are in the same danger if we allow our hearts to go down there. And so this verse is picking up, and it says, So let us therefore strive to enter that rest, enter that point of completion that we see through the gospel of Jesus Christ, so that none of us may fall by the same sort of disobedience or unbelief. Verse 12. For the word of God is living and active and is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart alright that belief of, is of the utmost importance when it comes to the gospel <clears throat> if you take away belief, if you take away faith from the scenario, what you have is a separation from God's plan and when you're separated from God's plan, what you have is wrath which is the same thing as, as judgment, so faith and belief is of the utmost importance that's what the book is about and it says that we have to be careful of our own hearts because it says, and, it, and the Word of God can help us in discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. I think we've all found ourselves in places where we even question our own intentions. You know, even if you're doing the right thing, are you doing the right thing for the right reasons? Verse 13: And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom we must give an account. This is, I think, a little scary if we really take that in. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom we must give an account. When I was younger, I was told stories about like the final judgment. um, Stories of which... I don't see Bible verses to support <laughs> things like all of your sins will be shown on a big screen. Has anybody ever heard anything like that? Like all your, your entire past will be made known. Pop the DVD. Yeah. And it's like, this is who you are. And these are all your sins and all the, all your sins are <laughs> secret. And all, you know, all your sinful thoughts will be there exposed for everybody to see. Now scripture doesn't talk about that stuff being exposed to everybody. Um, But we are fully exposed at that level of intimacy to God. Like, he sees all the way down to our intentions. That we are fully exposed and naked to him, and that we will be called to give an account. And this verse, and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of whom we must give an account, is meant to draw from us severity like in uh, and, and sobriety like this is a big this is a big deal that that we will be fully exposed our level of belief or unbelief will be shown and we will need to give an answer and a reason for why or why not we did the things that we did um whenever You get exposed for something that you have done. Whether you get caught um, or you get found out. Um, I think we all have similar places where our mind goes. Um, We've probably mostly all been caught speeding. You don't have to raise your hand, just give me the nod. I'm like, do you understand what I'm saying? Okay? And <laughs> David's raising his hand. <laughs> on the way here, David? <laughs> and it seems like when you get caught speeding and you're sitting there on the side of the road and the police officer is walking up, it's kind of like, you know, you caught me and there's not much you can do, right? Um, you could cry. Has anybody done that on purpose? <laughs> if I, if I start crying, he might give me a ticket out of pity. He's like, you're, you're a man up, all right? <laughs> Go about your business. <laughs> so maybe I should try that. But there, there are limited options, you know? And I often find myself at, at the position of I have yet to be caught, I've been caught speeding several times over the course of my life, but. Um, never was it a surprise to me. Like what? <laughs> How fast am I? It was always like caught me, you know. Um, and the police officer comes, and I'm kind of I'm at his mercy. You know, what do what do you do? You know, he has the radar gun. I'm, I'm completely at his mercy. Um, this wasn't a time where I got in trouble, but one of the most humiliating moments of my life. I was on a missions trip. Uh, to Hungary, this was several years ago, and <clears throat> it was leading this huge kids camp. Like three, 300, 350 kids were part of this camp, and one of the things that I was doing is they would all gather together in this gym, and I was supposed to lead um, the Lord's Prayer, and so part of the English camp was, was learning English, and so we were learning the Lord's Prayer, So I would get up with the microphone, I would say, our father, and all the little kids in their Hungarian accents would be like, our father, you know, and I would say, who art in heaven, know, art in heaven, and and we had, I I don't remember what they were, but we had hand motions that went along with it, and and, and it progressed throughout the course of the week as getting pretty dramatic, you know, because it's, it's a lot of kids in this big gym, and you're you're kind of yelling into this microphone it's like our father and all these kids are like our oh, father and i'm in the i'm in the middle of this uh of the lord's prayer one day and i blanked like it was gone and but it was in the middle you know and, oh, i didn't have it you know and it's, oh, i didn't have it and i was like <laughs> uh, and I and I started over, which is just worse, you know. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. to start over. Our Father, our Father, who art in heaven, whatever. And it's like, forgive us our. And people like, forgive us our. You know. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and then your heart starts beating, you know, really fast. Like this is this this train is derailed. And I tried to recover several times. And Steve Tuck, the children's pastor here was kind of up on the stage next, and he was, he was there, and he was kind of giving me the, (laughs) (laughs) and I panicked, I panicked, and, you know, from the stage, I was like, Steve, can you come up here and help me, and he, it wasn't his job, and he wasn't, you know, in the zone, and he didn't know where I was, and he was like, (laughs) and um, I I just, I just was like, I'm, i am We'll pick this up tomorrow. Like, like there there was not a recovery. Like it was gone. It wasn't like I need to be reminded, but my heart got beaten so fast and it, it had blanked. And I mean I was I was just really embarrassed. And I, I remember getting off the stage and one of the other leaders was like, Wow.
1: <laughs> I
0: mean there wasn't really a response to that, you know? And um, but when I found myself I mean that it was it was it was a feeling of being very exposed because everybody was sitting there looking at you and you realize this 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 plane had just crashed and I don't know where this is like I I can't I can't I can't change the situation and everybody's looking at me and I didn't know what to do and my and my only thought was in desperation and when Steve Tuck was right there I thought maybe he could help me you know and I called out to him and like he he just wasn't able to and so you know depending on everybody has got different life circumstances. I'm telling kind of a funny story here, but if, we've, if you've ever found yourself caught and exposed and in trouble, it's, it, it, you either make an excuse, or you say, I'm at your mercy, or you try to find somebody to help you out in your time of need. I think that those are the basic responses, right? Like if you get, I mean, I, I've not been in crazy situations, and maybe some of you have, of being caught with something serious, um, at home or at work, and kind of like I've, I'm, it's red handed here, you know. And so, you either you fess up and like I'm at your mercy, or you try to make some sort of an excuse, or you're like, I need help with this, you know, I need help. And so, when we look at the text, and we see that there's a level of exposure and, and seriousness in our sinful nature, um. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but you are naked and you are exposed to the eyes of him to whom you must give an account. So it's not just that you've been found out, not just that you're exposed, but there are answers that are demanded of you. And so we move into verse 14 and it says, since then, since we are under that expectation and we are fully known and fully seen by the God of the universe, since then... Because of this instance, then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Because we're exposed, let us remember. Let us us ground our feet on the solid foundation of the gospel. Let us hold fast our confession. Now, what is a confession? If you were to look the word up... um, you would see a couple different definitions. Often, the word confession is most commonly associated with uh, guilt, you know, that you are, you are acknowledging and that you are confessing your condition. You, that you, I, Officer, I was speeding. I, I confess that to you. I did get caught doing this thing. But an alternate definition is a, uh, a statement of belief. Hold fast your confession. Hold fast to the thing that you are claiming to be the thing that is making the decisions in your life. Your confession is the thing that I am holding on to that says this is how I'm going to see my life. I'm going to look through my confession, and this is what is going to define me. This, this, this is really going to own me. This is going to be the thing that determines how I behave, how I respond, and really what makes me who I am. The Apostles' Creed is something that we say often as a church. And what it is, is it is an affirmation of our, our confession of our faith. And I'm going to read it to us here, okay? But the Apostles' Creed was written uh, to be a concise version of what the Gospels have to say. All right, so we will often read the, the Apostles' Creed or the Apostles' Confession. And sometimes it can be put into the category of um, the Pledge of Allegiance, just something that we're all raised with, and we can say it like it's just from memory. But, the, uh, but a confession of faith is not supposed to be that way. A confession of faith is supposed to be one of those things that says, I have made a decision. I have shifted my life. That there, there are things in my life that have changed as a result of this belief that I hold to. That this isn't just an association that I have in first, second, and third grade. This isn't just something that I'm born into. But this is saying that come what may, I hold to this. Okay, that is what a confession is. This is the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the Creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He was born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into Hades, and on the third day, He rose again from the dead. He rose again from the dead, and he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. And from there, he will come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, or the universal church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, and the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. Amen. Now, when the original church would say a creed like this, this was a reminder this was the coach's motivational speech as you went out into a pagan world around a bunch of people who didn't believe these things and were living for different reasons than what you live for. And so th- this was saying, I believe in God, you know? And I believe that he sent his son. And I believe that that son was killed, was crucified, and that he literally physically died and that he was buried into the ground. And I believe that he came back to life. I believe that he was born of the Virgin Mary, that he was holy God and holy man, and that he is, he is ascended back into heaven. The, the, these verses in Hebrews say that we have a priest who has passed through the heavens. It's, it's affirmation of this, and that he will come again to judge us. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, wrapping up the belief in the Trinity here. The universal church. The communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, thank God for the forgiveness of sins that I have hope now because my sins are forgiven. The resurrection of the body, meaning that this life isn't all there is, but I have glorification to look forward to. But during this life, things can be hard. And life everlasting, amen. Life everlasting, that is a promise. This is a confession. This is a summary. This is a foundation. This is the gospel. And so the author of Hebrews is saying, since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus Christ. Let us remember this stuff. Be encouraged. Be reminded of these things. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Let us stick to that. In the turbulent times of life and in frustrations and questions and, and grumbling and things that don't make sense, let us. Hold fast to these things that we have claimed as a decision, as a mile marker, as a change in our life to this new thing now, our confession of our faith. Verse 15. It says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Verse 16. So let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Let's look at verse 15 again. It says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize. All right, so we do have a high priest who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. With our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. Our weaknesses, tempted as we are. This book was written on purpose. This book was written intentionally. And all the way up to this point, there are specific, clear issues that the original audience needed to hear about their weaknesses. Not broadly speaking, hey, we all have sin problems. But this book was written intentionally for specific issues. Issues of unbelief. Issues of not trusting what God has said he will do. Issues of being distracted by momentary physical needs, legitimate needs, and letting that change their belief system, because we've seen throughout the book of Hebrews that they're referencing the children of Israel, that they were freed from, from Egypt, and they physically saw with their eyeballs their, their enemy destroyed in the Red Sea as it collapsed on them. But yet, in a matter of days later, they physically got thirsty, and it drew out of them disbelief and questions and grumbling and even s- saying things about God that he did not say, like, you've brought us here to die. You've brought us here so our kids can die in the desert, God. That's, what, that's how they were grumbling just days after they had seen God work so when it says that we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are is saying that Jesus himself was tempted with the same things yet was without sin It's hard to wrap your head around how Jesus could be tempted with unbelief. Isn't it? It, it, It's hard to wrap your head around how Jesus was tempted to not trust God the Father. Jesus, God the Son, was tempted to grumble and complain and be dissatisfied with his situation. it's, It's... but we, I've, I outlined the, the things that we've seen up to this point in the book of Hebrews of the weaknesses that the book of Hebrews is addressing. And it says, Our weaknesses, but in every respect, he has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. <laughs> so unbelief is real. So often, church, be warned that we categorize no, 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 I believe you know? I'm, and because we're not shaking our fist saying no, I don't believe that Jesus Christ ever existed physically and died on the cross and was raised again because we, we don't say things like that but, we, but we, our unbelief shows when we sin when we respond to our life situation um, in ways that are sinful when we don't trust God in times when we don't understand, when things don't always make sense, and we fall into into worry and despair and and grumbling and questioning. And I mean, all of those things are the things that the children of Israel did at the beginning, and it it snowballed all the way to the point of God saying, Enough! You aren't gonna enter my rest. You're gonna die because you don't believe me. You can't be saved if you don't believe me. We talked about faith is the glue. That uh, that glues us to God's plan. That we, we are sinful and God is perfect and good. And it's our faith. And when we struggle and sin and fall because of disbelief or unbelief. That God will do the things that he said that he will do. How can we be saved from that? Verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive weakness and find grace to help in the time of need. It says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. How, how do you do that? This is a really nice verse. It's a really encouraging verse. Because he is our great high priest, because he's not unable to sympathize with us, You know, these are really good and encouraging things that we have Jesus who is our mediator between God and man. I mean, this is a, this is a great doctrine. And it's in verse 16 is like, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. And it seems like it's so easy if somebody is struggling with sin, somebody struggling with unforgiveness or anger or, or deceit or pornography or gossip or discontentment, whatever it might be. And they come to you with an issue and you say, hey, you know, we we have a great high priest. So what you need to do is you need to, um, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace. How do you do that? It almost seems like a, I know I need to do that, but I don't know how the heck to do that. I I don't know how to do that. It's almost, I almost feel like there are times when, you know, you're struggling with sin and we tell ourselves, this is how we respond, I just need to stop sinning, right? You know, if you have a sin issue in your life, you're just like, I'm going to do better. I'm going to stop doing that. You ever told yourself that? What is that? I wish it were that easy, but it's not, you know? Every sin that you struggle with, and you fall, and you're like, I, I, I know I shouldn't do that, I feel guilty for that, so what's the answer? And try harder and just stop. It doesn't, that's not the answer. That doesn't work that way. So what is this answer? Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. It's a throwback to the last word in verse 14. Confession. Our confession. Let us hold fast our confession so how do we draw near to the throne of grace how do we receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need we go back to the gospel we have to go back to the gospel we have to be reminded of the gospel we have to go back to this thing that we often will look at as just some theological statement that we all repeat on Sunday, in Sunday services and say, do I really believe in God the Father Almighty, that he's the creator of, of all things, and that he sent his son Jesus Christ to die for my sins, and that he died as a result of those sins for me? But, but it, it didn't end there. He, he came back to life, and that he will one day judge those that have believed and haven't believed. And there is forgiveness to be found for my sins. And there is an eternal hope for those who believe. There is no grace to be found outside of the gospel. That's the only place where it's at. It's the only store in town selling that thing. You know? it's, not like, it's not like you can say, well, I'm going to find a lesser grace to hold me over for now. It's only in the gospel. I mean, where do we find mercy in our time of need. It's it's only in the gospel. You know, you are exposed and you are naked, like it says in verse 13. So what do you do in those situations? Like, I need help. I need help. I went to Steve talk He helped me. You know, where do you where do you go when you are exposed and you are naked? You go to the confession that you hold in the gospel. Because that is where you can find grace. What is mercy? Mercy is something that you receive when you are legitimately in the wrong, and you are given a pardon. You know, I, I'm I'm at your mercy, officer. I did it. I have no excuse whatsoever. I have fallen in my sin, God, and I, and I fall at your mercy. Where do you find that mercy? Nowhere but the gospel. And so as believers, our pattern of this life has got to be going back to the confession that we hold and going back to the confession that we hold and going back to the confession that we hold because there are, there are no other options there. There are no other solutions. Verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of unbelief. Because that's our weakness. In our time of questioning. In our time of wishing for a more clearer direction. in in our time of discontentment because things aren't going the way we think or want. In our time of anger because we've been legitimately wronged by somebody. In our time of discontentment because I don't know what's coming next in my life. And so I'm going to sulk in that. We need to draw near to the throne of grace, which is our confession. Because it's the only place that we can find hope. Let's move into verse... 1 of chapter 5. It says, For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifices for his own sin, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about these verses here, because what it's doing is it's clarifying the role of the priest. All right? It's saying that up until this point, the high priest that was the mediator between God and man was also sinful. So he was, he was a good high priest in the sense that he is able to commiserate. Like, I understand your weakness. I've been there, I've done that, I've also struggled in those things. But as a result of that, he has also had to offer sacrifices for himself as he offers sacrifices for the people to fall in line with the obedience that God has set forth in the Old Testament Levitical law. But we have a greater high priest who doesn't need to do that. Verse 5, chapter 5, verse 5. It says, So also Christ did not exalt himself, to be made a high priest but was appointed by him who said to him quote you are my son today I have begotten you at verse 6 as he says also in another place quote you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek looking back at verse 5 it says so also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest but was appointed Jesus Christ was appointed by God we are loved by Christ. We are loved by God the Father. Uh, we are able to love because he first loved us. But it's interesting to note here that throughout the book of Hebrews, uh, both before what we've studied, what we're looking at now, what we will continue to study, is the fact that Jesus Christ was appointed by God. That he did the things that he did in obedience to God first before any sort of love or obligation to us. That he was appointed by God. It says in in the very beginning of Hebrews, chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, that he was appointed the heir of all things, the creator of all things, and he was appointed to be the radiance of his glory. In chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, it talks about how Jesus Christ is appointed to be the son over all of God's house, which is us, those who believe. And uh, um, what we're going to look at later in chapter 9, it says that he is appointed to return a second time in the second coming. That Jesus Christ is appointed, that he has been designated, that he has been assigned the position of Messiah. For God so loved the world, because he loves us. He appointed his son to do these things. And then what we see next is a couple of Old Testament Testament references. At the end of verse 5, it says, You are my son, and today I have begotten you. Now, we've already discussed this because it's brought up in Hebrews chapter 1. It is a reference to psalm 2 verse 7 which is a very clear designation of the coming messiah being of the line of david following um, that he that he would in fact be a davidic king we won't go into all that because we, we talked about it a little bit earlier and it's pretty easy to find some of those references if you just look at the little letters and numbers in your bible uh, verse six and it says this that he also in another place said you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. This is a reference to Psalm 110, verse 4. Melchizedek, um, flip to Genesis chapter 14. Melchizedek <laughs> screams Old Testament name, right? Genesis 14, verse 17. It's the only Old Testament reference of Melchizedek aside from this, uh, the reference in Psalm 110. And this is speaking about uh, Abram before the Abrahamic uh, covenant was established between God and Abraham. So Abraham's name was Abram before the covenant and Abraham after the covenant. So is speaking of Abram, after his return from the defeat of, Chel I think he's the guy from Lord of the Rings. Um, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, after his return from the de- the the defeat of the uh, and the king, and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Shiva, that is the king's valley, verse eighteen. And Melchizedek, the king of Salem, uh, which is the same is the name of Jerusalem before it was called Jerusalem. The king of Jerusalem brought out bread and wine and he was the priest of God's Most High. Verse 19 And he blessed him, meaning Abram and he said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High. Blessed be Abram by God Most High Possessor of heaven and earth um, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. Now Melchizedek uh, was a unique character because he was both king at the time he was king over Jerusalem and high priest which was A significant rarity. And so what the author of Hebrews is establishing with this reference of Psalm 2, verse 7 and Psalm 110, verse 4 is that the coming Messiah, the one in whom you place your hope and your trust in, the confession that we've established, is both the Messiah King and your great high priest. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So again, the audience here are people who intimately knew the Old Testament law. They knew who Melchizedek was. They knew um, the unique position that he was in. They knew the role that he played in the early parts of their history, even before Abraham was Abraham. And that there was a coming Messiah. That these that these ancient texts were referring to the coming Messiah of Jesus Christ, who would both be in the line of David, that he would be the Davidic king, that he would be the Messiah, and that he would be the great high priest that would be that would that would um, serve eternally. Later in the book of Hebrews, we're going to we're going to continue looking at what it means to be high priest and talks about how how high priests are, it's always a succession of people because by nature of being humans, you die. So you can't be a high priest forever. And the reason why you die is because you were born into sin and sin brings death. But Jesus Christ was able to live a sinless, perfect life and as a result, offer himself as a sacrifice and because he's God and by his God powers, was able to then raise himself back to life from the dead and serve as our mediator eternally, all right? So it's a big deal. We don't have high priests now. We don't talk about Melchizedek much, but it is making a significant statement about who Jesus Christ is and why he's worthy of our faith. Verse 7 it says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplication with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Um, Verse 8 says, Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And then, being made perfect, He became the source of eternal salvation to all who would obey. Uh, Flip back a couple pages to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. It says that for it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, Being to the point of being glorified, which is the the final state of your salvation. All right, you're you're justified at your point of of putting your faith and trust in Christ. So if you're a Christian, you have been justified, but you're in the process of being sanctified, Uh, but one day you will be glorified. All right, so it's this, it says already, currently, uh, but not yet, status that we have as Christians. For it was fitting that he, meaning Jesus, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one origin. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Meaning that when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we become part of the family of God. And in that sense, we can be considered brothers with Jesus Christ himself. But that Jesus is the one who sanctifies. But as the one who sanctifies, he also, as, as he lived a, a sinless, perfect, and obedient life, went through his own process of sanctification, which kind of blows the mind. You know, how, why, why couldn't Jesus have just showed up, died on the cross, and then uh, raised himself from the dead and boom, boom, boom? Did, why did he have to live those 33 years? Why do you have to face those temptations if he came and started sinless? Well, what we see through Scripture, both here in chapter 5 and also back in chapter 2, is that there was a process that was required even of Jesus Himself to show His uh, His sanctification by His obedience. It says uh, back in, in Chapter 2 that the founder of, this, of their salvation was perfect. Through suffering, perfect, made perfect through um, the course of his life by standing up and living a sinless life. If you go back to chapter five and verse eight, all right, flip back to chapter five, verse eight. It says, "Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, and then being made perfect." So his per- his perfection uh, was there when he was born, but he was continuing to be made perfect. And then solidified the perfection when he died, perfect life. And as a result of that, uh, verse 9, chapter 5, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who, who what? Who obey. Obedience happens as a result of, of faith. That's that's what that's what that's what faith looks like. You have faith and it looks a certain way. You don't you don't define what faith looks like. It's clear in Scripture. It tells you what your faith looks like. And it looks like obedience. It looks like perseverance. It looks like continuing on in the face of hardship. You don't have to flip there, but uh, James chapter 1 says, Count it all joy. My brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, when things don't go your way, when things are tough, when you're being persecuted, when you don't understand, when things aren't working out, when somebody has legitimately wronged you, when you face trials of many kinds, verse 3, for you know that the testing of your faith, right? What is the testing of your faith? Do you believe this? If you do, you will respond in a certain way. If you don't, then you'll respond in a certain way. All right? So you're, the testing of your faith is one of those little uh, testing strips you put in a pool to see what's in the pool. You know, how many, what, what are the, what's the chemical level here? We can find out definitively what, what, this, what, what chemicals are in this water. You know, so when you're tested, the result is going to prove where you stand. You know that the testing of your faith pushes and produces steadfastness. A true faith will produce steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, work its way throughout the tough stuff of life, that you may be perfect, that you will walk down that level of perfection, not attaining it yet until the final stage of glorification, that you may be perfect and complete. Last week we talked about how when you reach completeness, when when, when God the Father, um, through Jesus Christ, had the seven days of, cre- of creation and it was all complete what happened he rested when you find completeness through faith what happens as a result rest a spiritual rest that you can find nowhere else which ultimately eternally shows itself through heaven which we see at affirmed in the apostles creed res- res- resurrection of the body and life everlasting with finality amen that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing. Romans chapter 1, excuse me, chapter 8 says, "And those whom he predestined, he called; and those he called, he justified; and those he justified, he also glorified." Meaning that then there's a call in your life by God to believe in faith, there's a point of justification, there's a point of sanctification. And there's a coming point of glorification, which will be the point where we reach perfection by the the complete work of Jesus Christ. Um, Let's drop back to the children of Israel for a second. Faith ultimately doesn't really show itself in in the rah-rah times of life. Right? When things are going really well, where things are going your way, confidence is 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 the natural reaction to just the good stuff that's going on. Because the children of Israel were I mean it was pretty rah-rah for them when they got free from the Egyptians after being in slavery for hundreds of years. And it was pretty rah-rah when the Red Sea clearly by the hand of God split open. And it, was, and it was pretty rah-rah, like, yes, we believe in you, God. Oh, you are present with us, God. like You are a mighty God. You are a powerful God. You protect your people, God, when all of these things are going your way. But faith shows itself when things aren't. Faith shows itself through steadfastness when things just appear to be falling apart. That is faith. And, you know, so often because we live in 2014 and we live in America and we live in an in a ultimately a pretty comfortable world, like that a lot of times we look at our suffering and, 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 and we kind of discredit it a, a lot of times. I do. My, I've, I've seen it myself. You know, you read about these terrible things, and you read about suffering, and count it all joy when you face trials of many kinds. And you see what kind of trials they were facing in the first century church, and you're like, they're being, you know, they're being skinned alive for their faith. You know, that they're losing their jobs because of that. And you know, we look at all these sufferings, and Jesus Christ, you know, he he obeyed, and and in his flesh, um, Jesus offered up prayers and supplication with loud cries and tears. Well, he was being crucified, you know, and he was he was being whipped with the cat of nine tails, and like. You know, we don't we don't do that. We don't we don't we're not faced with that kind of suffering. We're not looked down upon. And those things are true. But so often that the devil uses that and says, "Well, then your issues aren't real suffering. And so you can just handle those yourself and you take your real issues to the cross." But you know what? When you're discouraged, that is a real issue. You know? When things aren't going your way in your in your job, And it's like, but I still have a job, and there's so much more I I could be complaining about. That's a real issue. And even if we're not living in the third world, even if we're not facing persecution, even if we're not diagnosed with some uh, terminal disease, we still suffer in this life in the sense that that things can just be hard and difficult, and we ought not minimize them. We should look at it in the perspective of life and the blessings that God has given to us, but we ought not chalk that up and just say, these are first world problems. And so, therefore, I don't need to go to God with them. We are called in the here and now in 2014 to go to our original confession and say every bit and piece and big and little issue that is creeping into my life that I'm I'm tempted to face with unbelief, I need to go to the gospel. I need grace today, I need mercy today. And you know, there are some times when I wake up in the morning and I am just in a foul mood for no reason. Things are good, but I wake up grumpy and pouty and I think of stuff that I don't like in my life or I'm, I'm mad at Lauren for some stupid reason that I shouldn't be mad at and I start my day, rah, 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 I, I need to go to the gospel in that moment. Even though I might be saying, Danny, you're just in a little you know, pouty party. You just need to man up, you know? <laughs> And there are times i like, come on, you know, you, just get out of it. No, I need to go to the gospel. Because that, that is an attitude that does not reflect Christ. That is an attitude that can rot my relationship, even for that day, with my wife that I'm committed to. To love in the gospel. And that's a sin, you know? That is, that, is, that, is rep, that is an ill representation of Christ to my daughter who's looking at me, you know? Of, this is how you're supposed to act, even if you don't get a good sleep last night. You know? That I need to go to the gospel, that I need to then go to the gospel, that I need to be reminded of the gospel in the big and in the little. So be encouraged with that today. No matter where or what or how you may be struggling or not struggling, there's a call in our life to keep on keeping on because of what Christ has done for us on the cross. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this truth. I thank you that... Father, we have a high priest that we can go to and that you you have been faced with it, even unbelief. Father, please be with us now as we just deal with the stuff of this life that we will go back and hold fast to our confession. That we can find grace and mercy in our time of need because of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray these things. Amen.